Matt, that was great. That was great. I'm very high maintenance too. And so listen, hold your horses, okay? This isn't my first rodeo. Uh, at this time, children, kindergarten through fifth grade, are dismissed. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, we are walking through the book of Colossians together. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, please turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. He was in prison when he wrote it, which is a bummer. Uh, he wrote it to a church in Colossae. He had never been there. He didn't start the church, but he knew someone who did. And so he wanted to give them a letter to encourage them uh, to continue to grow and mature in their walk uh, with Jesus. And so we're walking through uh, this book together. We think it's uh, practical for where we find ourselves today. God's Word is like that, right? It's living and active. God still uses it uh, to form and shape us. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, it will be on the screen for you. I'm going to read it, uh, and then we're going to pray together, and, uh, and then Matt's going to figure out that sound. And so <laughs> it's good to have you back up here, Matt. Uh, do you want me to use this? You don't mind. Oh, this is different. Okay. Okay. This is what all the kids are doing nowadays anyway, so this is wonderful. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 beginning in verse 5, says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Uh, in these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put, uh, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, a barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Would you pray with me? I want you to take a moment, if you would, and you uh, pray for you. Pray that God would open your heart and your mind to his word, uh, and that he would use this time to form and shape you uh, into the person that he has called you to be. And if you would, take a moment and pray for me. And ask God to give me uh, clarity and wisdom and uh, power as I uh, proclaim his word to you this morning. God, we're so grateful for the opportunity that we have to uh, gather together as your people and hear from you. Uh, thank you that you have not remained silent, uh, that you have given to us uh, your word to instruct us and to challenge us and encourage us and to change us. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you might do that this morning. Uh, Lord, thanks so much for loving us. Uh, thank you um, for revealing yourself to us. Thank you that you call us by faith sons and daughters. Uh, we give you thanks this morning and we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. 
Amen. Well, I am not a fashion expert. You may have noticed, but I have learned over the years a few unwritten rules about what to wear and what not to wear. I learned this lesson in middle school when I was attending a family funeral, and I showed up in my best khaki pants, and I, uh, I folded them. Uh, I, I turned the, this is what I did. Watch. You can't see it on, uh, you know, on, on the TV. But I, I, I turned over my pants like this, and I folded them up like, like this. Um, you laugh. This has come back. This has come back. Cliff, has this not come back? People are doing this again. I was fashion forward. I was doing this 30 years ago when it wasn't cool. Okay, and, and my uncle saw me uh, at the family funeral with my khaki pants uh, rolled up. I wasn't wearing socks, and I had on a pair of loafers. And it was the heart of winter. And he looked at me and said, uh, what are you doing? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you don't have any uh, socks on. It's the heart of winter, and you're at a funeral. I don't remember exactly what I told my uncle that day, but it had something to do with the fact that you're old and I'm a trendsetter. Um, looking back, uh, I think my uncle was right and I probably uh, was wrong. Um, he saw something in that moment that I, I did not see. Did, did you know, Christ's point, that Christians, followers of Jesus, um, are called to be forward-thinking in their fashion? I'm not talking about being on the cover of GQ. Uh, I'm saying there are certain qualities and attributes that should mark our lives that as followers of Jesus, uh, we put on. And there are other things, qualities, um, that should not mark our lives. A clothing that Paul is going to encourage us um, to, to put off. And so this morning, I want us to walk together through Colossians chapter 3 and hear what Paul has to say about uh, the qualities or characteristics that should mark the life of a believer, that should mark the life of a Christian. If you've been walking with us through the book of Colossians, you may notice that there is a subtle shift in the letter uh, from the first couple chapters being highly theological, the person in the work of Jesus, um, to Paul now in Colossians chapter 3 uh, getting really practical. Uh, Paul does this in his writings. It, it might be an oversimplification, uh, but oftentimes in his writings, Paul will start off uh, by talking about something that's highly theological, and then he'll kind of bring it down to the people and say, this is what it looks like uh, to live this out. Uh, we see this, for instance, in the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3 in the book of Ephesians, highly theological, deep, profound truths. Uh, and then Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, which uh, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, uh, bearing with one another in love. We see something similar in the book of Romans when Paul writes to the church at Rome. And the, the first portion of the book, chapters 1 through 11, are, are deeply theological as 
uh, Paul points out what does it look like to be rightly related uh, to God. He points out the work that God has done in our hearts and in our lives. And then he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual uh, act of worship. And do not be conformed uh, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is going to do something similar here in the book of Colossians. He's talked about the person and the work of Jesus, right? There's this teaching that was infiltrating the church, and so he wants to correct the church, remind them of the gospel, remind them of the person and the work of Jesus. Uh, but here he's going to point out, okay, what does it look like now uh, for us as followers of Jesus uh, to walk with him? And so Paul is going to give ethical commands uh, for the Christian life. Um, two things that I want to remind us of before we start walking together through these verses. Um, the first is that the Christian life is not primarily about a list of do's and don'ts. Right? The Christian life is not primarily about a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, and uh, there is a way of life uh, that Christians should avoid, and there's a way of life that Christians, followers of Jesus, should pursue. And so the Christian life is not primarily simply a list of do's and don'ts. And as followers of Jesus, God calls us to live a certain way. Right? That's true. Secondly, um, the Christian life is, is um, or, or secondly, obedience does not earn favor with God. Right? Obedience, our obedience does not earn God's favor. We're not ushered into a relationship with him because we're obedient to a list of commands. That doesn't define our relationship. Uh, and it is also true as followers of Jesus that we should strive uh, to be obedient in the things that we say and do and think. Um, so with those in mind, uh, let's begin to walk together through Colossians chapter 3. First, Paul is going to point out uh, what not uh, to wear. He says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So Paul here lists um, several sexual sins and encourages the church um, to, to not have your life uh, be marked uh, by these things. Right? He says, put to death uh, sexual immorality means every kind of immoral uh, sexual relationship. Um, it's, it's where the word there is where we get our word for pornography. Uh, when, when Paul talks about impurity, he's uh, talking about moral uncleanness, uh, speech, having a sensual heart. When he talks about passion, it refers to sexual excess. Um, Paul uses the same word to uh, describe the lust that the Gentiles have, people who don't know God. And when he talks about evil desire, he's talking about self-serving lust. Covetousness is seeing something that you want, that you think you should have, but can't have, and you want it. Right? Paul is essentially saying to the church what is common uh, to a watching world um, should not be common in your life. Um, you, follower of Jesus, um, should live uh, differently. Uh, sometimes the conversation about sex or sexual ethics in uh, the church can make us squirm a little bit. 
right? We hear that, and we might get a little comfortable. Uh, parents, you're probably glad that I remembered to dismiss our kindergarten through fifth graders moments ago, right? Because sometimes we can have a mindset that says kind of like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Uh, what happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom. Like we don't, we don't talk about those things. Like we keep it close to the vest. I kind of do what I want to do. You stay out of my business, and we're all okay. Uh, well, Paul uh, gets into uh, the church's business, right? He says there's, there's a particular way that God uh, has called us uh, to live. Um, I should point out, it doesn't say it here, but uh, Scripture um, does not teach that uh, sex is a bad thing. I mean, I don't think we talk about this enough in the church, but it's actually a good thing, and it's a beautiful thing uh, within certain boundaries that God has given to us uh, to enjoy uh, the gift. Uh, when my boys were uh, younger, when they were in elementary school, I uh, took them out for a milkshake uh, to kind of have the talk with them right, because I wanted them to have a, a biblical theology of sex. And so we went to PDQ, uh, primarily because from 3 to 5 in the afternoon, they have half-off shakes. And I thought, if this goes sideways, at least they get a milkshake out of the deal. And so I, I sat down, uh, my oldest boy at the time, and, uh, and I pulled out a napkin. And I was like, okay, there's this, like God, God's made us as sexual beings. Th this is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. But it's to be enjoyed within certain boundaries. And I drew a little fence. And I'm like, the boundaries are, are marriage, like within the boundaries of marriage, like fair, like fair game, like fun and joy. It's a good thing. You get outside the fence, and, uh, and, and, and things can get a little wonky, right? I was like, it's like Jack, our Jack Russell Terrier. Like, he has an invisible fence at home, and in the backyard, he can chase after squirrels. He can dig holes. He can roll around in the leaves. Like, it's all fair game, but if he breaks the fence, right, that, that could not end well for Jack. Um, I have no idea how that conversation was received. I'm not thinking about writing a book about it, right? It kind of, like, up until this moment, it sort of was an in-house conversation. Um, maybe you're thinking, James, you probably should have kept it there. Uh, but I do know a couple weeks ago, we were sitting at the kitchen table, and Amelia, our little nine-year-old, out of the blue, I mean, literally out of the blue, as far as I remember, um, says at the kitchen table, uh, can, uh, can people have babies when they're not married? Uh, to, to, which, to which I replied, Melissa? <laughs> and right, <laughs> right when I said that, Cademan, without missing a beat, goes, oh, no, dad's pulling out a napkin. <laughs> right, so listen, I don't know how the conversation was received. I just want to say, like, Scripture is clear within certain boundaries that God has given to us. Like, it, it is a good thing. It is a beautiful thing. It is to be enjoyed. But, but that's not what he's talking about here. Right, he, here, uh, Paul is saying there is a way of life uh, that should not mark uh, the people of God. And, and Paul apparently um, thinks that this is a big deal. Like he thinks sin is a big deal. And the reason I say that is because he writes to the church and he says, I want you to put this to death. Like I, wa I want you to 
I want you to kill it. I want you to kill it. Um, This this way of life should uh, not mark you. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, um, the wrath of God is coming. So we are called as a people of God um, to put to death sin in us. Sin uh, is serious. Uh, and the Christian's response to sin should be a serious response. We're not uh, to cuddle up to sin. We're not to cozy up with sin. We're not to coddle our sin. We are um, to kill our sin. We are to kill our sin. Paul is essentially telling the church, um, face your sin by fighting your sin. I'm reminded of the words of the old Puritan John Owen that said, uh, "Kill, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. In other words, like go to great lengths, like go to radical lengths um, to root out sin in your heart. It's not um, to be uh, trifled with. It's not a joke. Wh- why? why? Why does Paul say this? This is interesting. He says in verse 7, uh, in these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Right? So Paul is saying put to death sexual sin in you because that is, that's no longer you like son of the king, like daughter of the king. That's not who you are any longer. Your your way of life may have been marked by those things um, before, but your life is not to be marked by those things any longer. Like God has done a work in you. God has uh, changed your heart. So a fight sin in your heart. Put to death sexual sin. That's not you. And Paul continues, put to death the sins of anger and the tongue. He says in verse 8, but now you must all put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul's emphasis again is, is um, reminding the church that God has done a work in them, that your life is not to be marked by your old way of life, but by your new way of life, the work that God has done in you and uh, creating a new life in you. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 that we talked about uh, last week, verse 1, it refers to the Christian as being raised with Christ. Like you have new life. You have new life. You have a new identity. You have new affections. You have a new reason for being. You have a new purpose. You have new life, uh, so live according to the new life uh, that is yours. You have been raised uh, with Jesus. Paul is essentially saying you were wearing one outfit, but now it's out of season, right? Don't wear white pants in the winter any longer. It's not what it says in the Greek, but that's essentially what Paul is saying. I I don't want you uh, to look like you once looked. I want your life uh, to be different. I want your life uh, to be different. That is not you any longer. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, uh, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its uh, creator, right? So you are being renewed, and God's work in you, he, it, it was not, your sanctification was not instantaneous. Like, God, like he did not like wiggle his nose and tap his toes and all of a sudden we are perfect right god is in the business of progressively uh, changing your heart 
and your affections. It is a lifelong endeavor, right? As long as you live and as long as you have breath, uh, God will be working in you. And so Paul is not saying you should be finished products, uh, but he is saying that there uh, should be a way of life that you should uh, pursue. I have to admit to you, when I read these lists, it's easier for me to look at the first list, the list of sexual ethics, and go, yep, 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 that's a bad thing. Like, we should avoid those things. Bad news. I think historically the church has done, like, an okay job saying avoid these things, don't let your life be marked by these things. But that second list that Paul provides is a bit more interesting uh, to me. Uh, because the first list, quite honestly, kind of seems like the bad stuff. Like, let's, let's avoid those things. But some of these things, like, like anger or obscene talk or lying, like sometimes those are the acceptable things. Like sometimes those are the sins that we look at and think, ah, who among us hasn't struggled with anger before? Like, who among us hasn't said something that we regret that we wish we could have had back? Like, who among us hasn't stretched the truth just a tad to control the narrative of our life? And yet, um, Paul includes both lists uh, when he writes to the church. Um, I've been in ministry now, vocational ministry, for, uh, for 20 years. And I haven't crunched the numbers, um, but I would venture to say that there are uh, more churches that are torn apart and destroyed uh, by loose lips than there is loose sexual ethics. Right, so this is serious. Paul says, I, I want you to, to kill uh, sin in your heart and in your life. I want you to, to put it away, uh, an inner anger that you may have, wrath, which is boiling over, malice, which is viciousness of mind, slander, which is hurtful speech that defames another person's character, obscene talk, which is abusive speech, and, and do not lie. The, the tongue uh, is, a, is a dangerous uh, little weapon, is it not? James says in James chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, uh, this person's religion is worthless. He says later in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Uh, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and a sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought to not be so. These things ought to not be so, so uh, put them away. Like, 
put them away. Aggressively wrestle with and fight and kill a sin in your own heart. You may read this list and think to yourself, I'm in full agreement (laughs) that all that is true. Our lives should not be marked by either of those lists. Then maybe you wrestle with, well, how does that happen? Like, how does it happen? Like, how how does God change us? And God changes us in a number of ways. God changes us through his word. He changes us uh, through his people. He changes us uh, by his spirit. Uh, He changes us when uh, we confess and we repent and we come uh, to him. And he invites us um, through those means and by those means um, to put to death sin in us. I remember reading a story from author Paul David Tripp um, that he told about anger that was prevalent in his life, particularly early in his ministry. And uh, unfortunately, he was blind to it. Uh, But his wife, uh, the one who he lived with, uh, saw it all the time. And he said on one particular occasion, uh, him and his wife were having an argument. And uh, in his anger, and as he describes it, his great humility, and he says this tongue-in-cheek, he said to his wife, Luella, 95% of the women in this church would, would, or would love to be married to me. Think about that statement. And Luella said, well, count me in the 5%. <laughs> right? Because she saw something in him uh, that he uh, did not see. He tells this beautiful story about how God used a conference and a conversation that he had with his, with his brother to open his eyes uh, to the sin in his own heart. And he came home from this conference and he repented. He came before uh, his wife and he says, I see it now and I didn't see it before. That is God's tender mercy. But if you read this list this morning and you're thinking to yourself, man, that's me. And, and, you, and you sense God, God's spirit uh, lovingly move into your heart. And I just want you to know that that's God's mercy. He's, he's calling you back to himself. He's calling you back to himself. When God does get a hold of us, when he changes us, uh, the, implica- the implications of his work are uh, profound. Uh, did you notice verse 11 in Colossians chapter 3? It's fascinating to me that that Paul went here. I would have never seen this. I would have never thought it. He, he gives this list. Here's sexual ethics, writes a list about anger and, and taming the tongue. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self uh, with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge uh, after the image of its creator. And then he says in verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, uh, but Christ is all and in all. And this is huge. Uh, what Paul is suggesting is that when we are changed by Christ and for Christ, we experience a unity in human relationships that will take place that is quite honestly supernatural. Right? Jews and Greeks, Jews were those with covenant privilege. The Gentiles, uh, they were the unclean, late-to-the-party people. And, and Paul is reminding the church, oh, no, 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 in Christ... Um, They are united. Circumcised and uncircumcised, those who conform to their traditions of the privileged people and those who bear no marks of that privileged people. Uh, Paul is saying, no, in in Christ you are united. Barbarians, the foreigners, the uncultured, the foolish by Greek and Jewish standards with, with strange languages. Paul says, oh, no, no, no. 
No, no, in Christ you are united. The Scythian, the uh, distant people north of the Black Sea, uh, Josephus described them as the epitome of unrefinement and savagery. The Scythians who delight in murdering people and, and are little better than wild beasts. Uh, Paul is writing to the church and saying, no, 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 no. No, in, in Christ, um, you are united with these people. Slave and free, the opposite uh, poles in the economic strata of society. Paul is painting a picture for these groups of people and saying that in Jesus, God has done a radical work in bringing these people who are far from God and near to God. Racial barriers, religious barriers, cultural barriers, and social barriers have been torn down in Christ. Right? This, this new community that Paul is talking about is a beautiful a community. He's not saying that there are uh, no differences to the naked eye. He's not suggesting that what makes you unique or what makes you different no longer exists. Unity is not uniformity. Right? Unity is not uniformity, but he is saying in Christ, uh, we are one. We are united. Christ is all and in all. He writes, here there is not Greek or Jew. Do you know where the here refers to when, when Paul says here do you know what he's referring to he's not referring to out there out in the world he's saying in the church he's saying the church is called to be unified the church is different the church functions in such a way where people who have no business coming together come together and a watching world goes oh like that is beautiful that is compelling. Billy has mentioned this uh, before. I've heard him say uh, something similar to this, but he's talked about how we have uh, more in common with brothers and sisters who live in other places around the world than we have with people in our own backyard who may not know Jesus. That means I have more in common with a black brother from South Central LA than I do with someone who attended Livonia Franklin High School, lived down the street on Melrose where I grew up, loves Detroit sports and loves Detroit pizza and knows the Michigan map on their hand and understands what I'm talking about when I point out where I grew up. Someone who understands and can explain what a Michigan turn is like. Someone who has all those similarities as me, the same background as me, grew up in the same place as me. But if, but if there's someone else who knows and loves Jesus who is vastly different than me, Paul is saying we have more in common with that person than we do with someone who looks like us and talks like us and is from the same town and place as we are. It means that we are more unified with our brothers and sisters in Honduras who know and love Jesus but speaks little to no English, lives in a vastly different culture, a different town under a different form of government, comes from a different socioeconomic background than I share in common with someone who knows what I'm talking about when I call uptown downtown, when I can explain why it took so long to complete 485, who knows and can explain why in the greater Charlotte area none of the roads, none of the roads run north and south, east and west. Right? Even though I may have all these similarities with someone over here in my own backyard, if there is someone who knows and loves and follows Jesus, I have more in common with them. I am more united with them than you can ever even begin to imagine. Right? Jesus is more unifying than anything on the planet. And when God changes us, when he changes us, we, we are forever changed. 
We are forever changed. Lives changed by Christ result in changed communities for Christ. That's what Paul is saying here, that this work that God does does not only change us as individuals, it changes our uh, community. So, um, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Jew or there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and uh, in all. So just a couple questions that I want you uh, to ponder as we close our time uh, this morning. And they are meant to cause you to, to reflect and to give pause. And so I want you to do that this morning. Um, the first question is this. Is there um, sexual sin in your heart or life um, that you need to address? And what is a step that God is calling you to take uh, to address it? And just an honest question right, between you and the Lord. Is there sexual sin in your heart and in your life that needs to be addressed right now? And maybe nobody else knows about it. Maybe it is a secret to you. Maybe you feel like you've covered your tracks. But, uh, man, the, like the hound of heaven uh, mercifully comes after us. Is God uh, calling you to take a step? Maybe that step is having a conversation with someone. Maybe it's simply going before the Lord and confessing that before him and experiencing his forgiveness. Maybe it's uh, taking some steps uh, in your home in terms of how you operate, where there's accountability, where there is currently none. What is God calling you uh, to do? Secondly, do you, uh, do you find yourself uh, regularly uh, angry uh, and irritable? Do you find yourself regularly angry and irritable? Um, do you feel like you walk around with a low-grade anger? Does it feel like there is something stewing below the surface that could explode if given the right circumstances? Uh, do you struggle with loose lips? Do you find yourself throwing verbal jabs, maybe subtly, uh, toward others? Maybe God is calling you uh, this morning to, to take a step into that area of your heart and into that area of your life. Put to death a sin in your heart. We don't coddle sin. As followers of Jesus, we kill it. We don't coddle it, we kill it. Uh, Marius Ells, a farmer in South Africa, adopted a hippo. True story. He adopted a hippo uh, that had been rescued from a flood. The hippo grew uh, too big for the people who adopted it, and it was bought by Ells at the age of five months old, and it became his pet. This is a true story. I can't make this stuff up. On a 400-acre farm, Learning uh, to swim with humans, Els named the hippo Humphrey and tried to domesticate it on a farm. Els was famously photographed riding the five-year-old hippo's back. He said this about his pet hippo, Humphrey's like a son to me. He's just like a human, he said. There's a relationship between me and Humphrey, and that's what some people don't understand. They think they can only have a relationship with dogs, cats, and dom uh, domestic animals, but I have a relationship with one of the most dangerous animals in Africa. And then one day, nearly six years after adopting his pet hippo, 
the hippo uh, dragged Els into the river and ate him. Uh, so it is with sin. Uh, we don't domesticate sin. Uh, we put it to death. Uh, we don't uh, coddle sin. We kill it. And we do that, as Paul said in Romans 8, 13, uh, this way, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, uh, you will live. It's my hope and prayer that we as a people uh, would be people uh, who live. And that life is found in Jesus. Lives changed by Christ result uh, in changed communities for Christ. May uh, Christ, through the power of his spirit, uh, change us.